Hello everyone. My name is Dr. Pantelithio Caruz. I'm the Global Vice President, Cell and Gene Therapy Strategy Lead for PPD. In this multi-part series, we will look at the patient journey through CAR-T therapy. This reflects historical learnings from bone marrow and stem cell transplant experiences, including long-term survivorship programs. We'll also be thinking of Emily Whitehead. Emily was treated at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. In April 2012, Emily was enrolled in a phase one clinical trial and became the first child in the world to have her immune system trained to fight cancer. How do we extrapolate to make these studies much more applicable to broader groups of patients? We understand from advocates for patients with other blood disorders, such as beta thalassemia, that whilst there is significant enthusiasm, some patients are not fully embracing gene therapy approaches. We need to understand why. Today, I'm with Lorna Warwick, CEO of the Lymphoma Coalition, and Ryan Michalek, Director of Project Management at PPD. During this session, we'll discuss insights about the patient experience with CAR-T and considerations around patient burden, anxiety and education, as they are a key partner in this pioneering journey to improve outcomes in oncology. I'd like to start with Lorna. Lorna, how are patients perceiving CAR-T therapies? What are their expectations? Well, first, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to participate today. I'm excited to be here and actually have the chance to talk a little bit about what we know about the patient experience. So what was really interesting with CAR-T is how it was initially presented in the media. If you look back at those news reports, often they use terms like groundbreaking and miraculous and cure, and this set expectations really quite high. So patients that had seen these news reports were going into their doctors and asking if this treatment was right for them. But patients had absolutely zero context. They didn't know if the therapy applied to them. They had no idea what was involved. They just knew from the news articles that it was this brand new, amazing therapy, something that they needed to fight their own particular type of cancer. But this is quite different than when patients actually get to the point in their therapy where this might be a real treatment for them. It's a scary proposition. Most people, when they think about uh, being genetically modified, their only framework for that is really what's happened in comic books. And so there's a lot of fear from a patient or anxiety about what this means, that they actually have some modification to their genes, even if it will successfully fight their cancer. How is this being addressed just in terms of education or better understanding of these studies? What, what are those gaps and how are they being addressed? So there's education that's really needed from two different angles. So there's still room actually to educate, I think, our healthcare providers. And that would include our doctors as well as our nurses, so that patients are actually given better information about CAR-T, better information about clinical trials and how they're run, and they're presented to patients at an earlier phase in their treatment journey so that they have 
options available to them and have some time to understand and adapt. From the patient perspective, they still need good education uh, to make sure that they're looking at information that is really credible and applies to their situation. They can't rely just on what's in the news. There's so many different types of therapies, different indications that they're um, applicable to. So really, it's looking at what is valid for them in an understandable format. So the Lymphoma Coalition has done some research that has really proven that informed patients report better overall outcomes with their healthcare experience. And so it is a big focus of our organization to make sure that patients are getting this really good, credible, medically verified information so that they can actually make better decisions for their own care moving forward. And this is definitely an area where there was lots of room to make sure that the information provided to patients is more complete and presented in a way that's understandable because it is a very complex offering. That's great and fully understood. Um, and it's very clear that the work that you're doing at the Lymphoma Coalition, really building these bespoke educational toolkits for CAR-T therapy, certainly highly informative for patients, um, caregivers, um, and other important stakeholders within this framework. Ryan, maybe I can turn over to you now. I mean, how are, how are CROs handling education for both patients and, and also sites? We talk about trying to minimize the burden on the site and on the patients. And I think it would be great to hear from you about how are we engaging the patient to really better integrate their voice much earlier on in the process? Yeah, you know, absolutely. As Lorna just mentioned, the patient perception is still something that we're challenged by on a regular basis. Considering this from you know our perspective in terms of the conduct of trials, we've seen sponsors who have taken an upfront approach where they've worked with patient advisory groups to go ahead and have upfront board meetings with the patients themselves that represent this demographic, to have feedback on the informed consent forms, feedback on the protocol design and the burden that it puts on the patient in terms of the visits and the assessments, and also the feedback from the patients on their interpretation and expectations for what they're going to get from the therapy itself. For the investigators themselves, there's that need to educate the educators. And so a lot of that involves how do we keep investigators current? How do we keep doctors current in what we're seeing in this evolving landscape? And so we've seen sponsors taking the approach of having dedicated mini workshops or work streams that are outside of your typical investigator meeting setting. We're also, on the education front, working with sponsors to generate alternative approaches to educate patients on this therapy in general, not just on the trials. And so this often involves maybe the creation of some very basic science videos that can begin to unravel the complexity of this therapy and hopefully get away from some of the myths or mis-expectations so there's alignment on all of what the ultimate treatment would be. So all of this is really aimed, again, at how do we incorporate the patient the doctor, and remove some of those myths and fears that exist to really ultimately deliver these therapies to where they're needed at the end of the day. Brian, thank you. I think there's a lot of cross-pollination with a number of initiatives that Lorna's already you know, alluded to in terms of patient engagement and education. Lorna, any thoughts from you in relation to um, what Ryan's just shared with us? Well, he's absolutely right. I mean, in terms of uh, education, it is it is just crucial to this whole process. 
And early engagement with patients always makes a difference, right? So if patients are going to be the end user of a product, it's really good upfront to understand what the key issues are for a patient within their own journeys with cancer. What are their key concerns moving forward and making sure that those are addressed so, so that they want to participate in these trials and, and have hope in these therapies. We do know from some of the research that we've done, for instance, that doctors are always worried about overwhelming patients and so don't want to give them a lot of information. Yet we do a global patient survey that has thousands of respondents worldwide every two years. And that data repeatedly shows that most patients would actually prefer to have more information than what they're being given. So if 90% of patients are saying that they would like more information, really we should cater what we're doing to the vast majority than worry about the patients that might be overwhelmed. At the same point in time, Doctors are not always the best source of information for patients, even though they are the primary source of information. So usually a patient is looking to their doctor to give them information on their on their disease and their treatment course. But doctors don't always communicate in a really great, understandable way to patients, right? What we really are encouraging is that we do look at alternate ways to communicate. Ryan mentioned videos to help understand the process and, you know, anything else that we can put into the equation to help patients understand so all, all of the emphasis doesn't have to come from the doctor themselves. But there's lots of other ways that patients could learn about what they're going to be facing in a more understandable way so that they can make some really good decisions about their own care is important. Lorna, thank you for sharing that feedback. This helps us better understand the emotional journey that patients go through and how it's heightened during COVID-19. Yeah, I actually think that's a really great point when we're talking about the communication. You know, one of the pieces from a clinical trial perspective is really what comes into play when it comes to the informed consent form. That's really a key point of education for the patient themselves. It's tailored for the understanding that the patient may have in terms of a particular indication and a treatment. It's not just, you know, med school speak, as we were talking about a moment ago. There's a responsibility that we have to be very clear when it comes to many of these treatments for cell therapy and gene therapy. Uh, we're talking about a one-time permanent treatment. There's risks that are associated with that. Some of these treatments don't have any type of rescue medication or anything like that that can reverse potential complications that may arise. From the patient's perspective, it's absolutely critical in that from consent form that we have all the possible safety risks that are associated with this treatment, as well as that understanding that it may or may not be able to be reversed, uh, depending upon particular type of therapy we're looking at these days. Also, you know, we're still at the dawn of determining the long-term impact of you know, gene and cell therapies. And so therefore, from the patient's perspective, you know, we're talking very often of a one-time treatment, let's say in an example of many of the different CAR therapies out there, but the expectation and the commitment of the patient can be anywhere from 5 to 15 years in the back end. And so that has to be communicated to the patient, the expectation that they have to participate in that. There's going to be a specific timeline and set of expectations we have to really lay out properly in that consent form so the patient's informed and they don't you know, have misinterpretation of the expectation of their treatment. 
Lorna, Ryan, thank you so much. It was great to hear from you today. I look forward to our next session when we discuss how to keep the patient top of mind as CAR-T trials continue to evolve and shift into community centres with allergenic therapies and how decentralised trial technology is also helping to reduce burden, especially during the required long-term follow-up period. For our listeners, if you would like to learn more about what Lorna and the Lymphoma Coalition are doing to give a stronger voice to patients with lymphoma, please visit lymphomacoalition.org. If you have any questions for PPD, please send us an email at celllungingtherapy at ppd.com.